0: Hi everyone. Welcome to this fresh teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David. I'm the pastor of Foundation Church and today begins uh, a study in the next four or five weeks uh, looking at an Old Testament character by the name of Gideon. Why are we looking at Gideon? Well, uh, his context um, provides us a lot of learnings um, about how we as people can respond to the challenges that we face at the moment uh, with the global pandemic of the coronavirus uh, and how God dealt with uh, his people, and particularly this person, uh, during this time of great uncertainty and threat. Uh, so what we're going to be thinking about today, and, and we're going to look at these two, two things I want to teach, two things I want to get across. First thing um, that we're going to learn together, number one, is that God takes the initiative when saving his people. It's always him that takes the initiative first. The second thing I want to teach is that uh, we need to listen to God and respond to him no matter where it takes us. So first of all in this part of the video we're going to be looking at God always takes the initiative when saving His people. Firstly, a bit of background. Gideon uh, and the story of Gideon falls in the book of the Old Testament called Judges. Uh, and uh, he stands alongside a number of other uh, men and women called judges in the very early period of Israel's history. Uh, what were the judges or who were the judges, where well, they were leaders? Uh, they were warriors, some of them were military strategists, visionaries, both men and women, raised up by God at different points and different parts to dig Israel out of a hole. Uh, in some ways, they were many saviors. Uh, but when you read the entire book called Judges, you'll realize that these, these, these collection of people were a real mixed bag. Um, some of them had remarkable faith, uh, great courage. They oversaw tremendous victories in the name of God. But others were, were morally dubious, and um, it seemed to be that they added to the problem of moral decline and selfishness of the, the people of Israel, rather than help it. But anyway, we're going to concentrate ourselves on, on, on Gideon, and uh, when you turn to Judges chapter 6, 7 and 8, we see the, the life story of Gideon. Uh, and when we start examining Gideon, uh, we see a problem. We see the problem at the outset. Or the, the entire people of Israel are facing and there are two perspectives to that problem the first perspective we see it from uh, God's point of view the beginning of the story of Gideon it says number in verse 1 chapter 6 um, that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord now this was a perennial problem uh, with God's people uh, a perennial struggle uh, particularly during the, the, the time of the judges. They looked less like God's people and resembled more uh, the nations and the tribes around them who did not know God and the way they practiced their, their pagan practices. And so from God's perspective, it said that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. But the second perspective uh, and the problem that, that faced Israel is that Israel were overpowered by a tribe or a people called Midian. They were overpowered by another tribe they were sort of uh, um, humbled by another tribe what happened well the bible describes that um, from time to time various parts of the season various raiding parties like pirates uh, would encamp against the people of israel and would uh, uh, key times would swoop in and it says in the in in the scripture uh, the produce of the land they would come down like locusts it said and they would strip the land bare of all the produce that Israel the Israelites had been working hard through the year to bring up you know all their fruit all their their, their wheat and their grain and all that and these raiding parties from Midian would come in and, and take all of this stuff by force uh, using violence they would come and take that they would plunder their animals and their livestock not just once uh, but time and again, this is a repeating problem. It says that over the time, in verse 6, the people of Israel were brought low. Literally, that means that, uh, that the word is, they, they were made to feel small. They were made small. The people of Israel, after time and time again, uh, with this kind of treatment from Midian, their confidence was robbed. Their security was evaporating. Their resources were continually plundered. For, for Israel, you see, during this time, uh, life was on hold. Everything that they, they knew, all the rhythms of life had been disruptive. Everything that, they, that they, they looked to for security had been taken away. And it says, therefore, that they cried out to God. And so right from the outset, we can see that the situation uh, that Israel faced was not so dissimilar from the situation that we find ourselves in today. Times of, of great uncertainty with this, the threat of this COVID pandemic robbing us of our familiar routines, uh, our ability to, to go about our business and freedom. Uh, for, for, for many of us, our, even our opportunity or our ability to make money, to, to make a living, has been taken away because of this global pandemic. Uh, uh, the sense of peace and well-being, all of this has been taken away. And indeed, it's a very challenging time for us as people in the 21st century. We have, like Israel, been brought low. We've been made small. Um, it has become clear to us uh, how vulnerable we really are, how how, how powerless we are. Uh, fear dictates the pace. Many people, I have found, uh, in one way or another, have been crying out to God. They may not use those terms, uh, but they have been spiritually seeking, asking big questions where perhaps In normal times, they would not have been asking such big questions. Where is God? Why has God allowed this to happen? Maybe they've even been blaming God for what's been going on to them personally, as well as across the world. You know, as a doctor, uh, I realized that one of the key pieces of kit in every hospital is this machine called a defibrillator. You've maybe seen defibs. Uh, in, in, in uh, hotels or uh, football matches or a big place, you know, places where, where big gatherings of people come together, shopping malls, that kind of thing. And the idea with a defibrillator is that it delivers uh, an electric shock across your chest, across someone's chest, if they're having a cardiac arrest. And the idea is that it kickstarts someone's heart. Uh, the, the, the bolt of energy that goes across the cardiac muscle is to reorganize and reset the electrical impulses in the heart so that the hope is the heart will return to a healthy pattern and get beating again. In Gideon's day, you see, God was allowing the Midianite invasions to act as an electrical shock to the hearts of the people of Israel. They had gone astray from him, it says. They did evil in his sight, and he wanted to reconfigure their heart by delivering this shock. And maybe in our day too, God is doing something similar for us. But before he raises up a saviour, God does something different. Uh, In verses 7 through to 10 in Judges 6, we see that God, before he raises up a saviour, raises up a prophet. He sends a prophet. God determined before they needed a saviour, these people needed a sermon. They needed to hear God's assessment of the situation. Why is that? Because it was clear that there was a mismatch between his perspective and the people's perspective. There was a difference between God's assessment of the problem and the people's assessment of the problem. You see, the people were were, were crying out. They were registering their complaints before God, of course, but they were just concerned about the situation that they were in. They were most concerned about their circumstances. Of course, it's bad. Of course, it's terrible when the Midianites came and and fell upon them like a uh, a plague of locusts and, and stripped the land. That indeed was a real threat. But according to God, Israel, his people Israel, had an even greater problem that they were completely unaware of. God said that you've got a problem under the problem and you seem to be blind to it. He said to them, you are just upset about the circumstances, but you're not, compared, you're not concerned about the deeper, the more fundamental problem, which is your relationship to me. And so he sends them a prophet to give a sermon. Let's just look at that idea for a second or two. Let's focus in. It seems to be that Israel were full of remorse they were full of regret for the way things were. but God knew that they needed not just regret, they needed repentance. They, Israel were sorry for the state that they were in, but they gave no thought to the, the deeper problem that got them in that place in the first got them to that place in the first place. They were concerned about the horizontal impacts, what they could see around them. but God, was primarily and chiefly concerned with the vertical, his relationship to them and theirs to him. They just had regret, but God wanted them to repent. They needed the defibrillator applied to their heart. You see, it's important that we understand before we go on that repentance and regret look similar on the surface. And I've seen this over many, many years in pastoral ministry, in church ministry. Repentance and regret look very similar, and yet they have a very different outcome eventually. Both may manifest all sorts of similar symptoms, if you you like. Tears may flow in both regret and repentance. A sense of guilt, promises to change our ways, all these things may happen in both regret and repentance. But when we examine regret and see people who only have regret, they are largely focused on external things. Someone who is full of regret only will say, I- I'm just upset about my circumstances. I'm maybe even upset about the consequences of my bad decisions. I'm hurt. I'm troubled. I'm wounded. That's what regret sounds like. But regret produces no lasting change when circumstances change a person with regret will simply go back to how they were beforehand here's an example what imagine if a man was caught cheating on his wife because he was addicted to pornography or because he was carrying on a extramarital affair he he would probably be filled with sorrow feel guilty that he's, he's been caught, maybe even have regret at his actions and, and, and the implications of his actions. But because he just stops at regret and just considers the circumstances, he will still carry on in his unfaithfulness. Or when the regret and the guilt subside, he'll go back to where he was again. It does not produce lasting change. Repentance, however, is different. Whereas regret focuses on the external manifestations, the external circumstances, repentance is, is primarily focused internally. Yes, in repentance, circumstances, external things are registered and produce guilt and, and all that, tears, if you know, and, and all, all sorts of manifestations similar to regret. But repentance is different because it is primarily troubled by the most important relationship, the damage done to a person's relationship with God, the fracturing and disordering of that relationship. The person who repents hates not just the effect of their sin, but hates the way that God has been grieved because of their sin. Did he catch the difference? Repentance, true repentance, hates not just the effects of their sin, as bad as that is, but hates the way that God has been grieved. And that relationship, that primary relationship has been disordered. Repentance, you see, opens us up to lasting change in the way that regret does not. Regret is powerless. Repentance grants opportunity. And so God sends a prophet to preach a sermon. And what is that sermon? Uh, Well, down in verses 8 through 10, he gives the sermon. and, And here it is in summary. God says to the people through the prophet in the sermon, he says, I am God. I am your Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the one who saved you from Egypt. I'm the one who delivered you from slavery i'm the one who freed you from oppression i'm the one who drove out your enemies from the promised land i'm the one who gave you that land i am your god don't let your heart go after other gods love me but you have not obeyed my voice said god to his people through the prophets you see he wanted to deliver a shock to jolt the people's heart back to himself In our day, God is delivering us a shock to the heart. COVID is God delivering, or can be seen as God delivering an energy jolt to make us look, to make us see, to make us think. COVID to us can be a a spiritual defibrillator. Because as we've been seeing, God always takes the initiative when he is saving his people. Many years later, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5 verse 8, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You See, God has this track record of sending help to us before we even know we need it. And here's the gospel. Here's the gospel, just like God sent Gideon to dig Israel out of the hole that they were in, he sent an even greater saviour, his own son, to deal with the most intense and deepest hole we can ever fall into, our greatest problem, which is our fractured relationship with God because of our sin. So do our current circumstances, do your current circumstances lead you to regret just to remorse, to complaining about the circumstances? Or do they take you deeper? Do they take take you to your need for Jesus? Because God always takes the initiative when saving his people. Well, the second teaching that I want to take out of today's passage is this. We need to listen to God and respond no matter where it takes us. We need to listen to God and respond no matter where it takes us. We've just seen in part one that God wanted to turn regret into repentance. He wanted to turn complaining into conversion. He wanted to turn fear into faith. But he didn't wait for his people to respond before he saved them. Because we saw in part one that God always takes the initiative When it comes to saving his people, he raised up Gideon to deliver them, to to be a temporary saviour before Israel made any response to the message of God. How did he do that? Well, we see that in verses 11 through 18 in Judges 6 that we're looking at together today. The angel of the Lord was sent to Gideon. And he appeared to Gideon. What was Gideon doing at the time? Was he in a prayer meeting? No. Was he reading his Bible? No. Was he thinking holy thoughts? No. He was, it says, beating out wheat in the wine press. What was he doing there? Why was he beating wheat in the wine press? Well, he was down there because he was afraid, it says, of the Midianites. He didn't want the Midianites to see him and to figure out what was going on and come and raid him and nick all of his stuff. So he was hiding out. He was keeping the head down and he was trying to get some wheat prepared for him and his family he was clever but he was scared and so the angel met him in that place of fear and hiding and said to him the Lord is with you O mighty man of valor I don't know what you would have felt if uh, you had been in that position uh, threshing the wheat on the sly but Gideon replied effectively and said what what do you mean God is with us how, how can he be with us if God is with us then why all this why the why the Midianite raiders every time we have a harvest where are all God's wonderful deeds if God is really with us yeah, he used to do stuff in the past, maybe, to our ancestors. He might have delivered them from slavery in the past, from Egypt. But he must have forgotten about us now. You see, the, uh, the angel of God appeared and said, God is with you, mighty man of valor. But Gideon couldn't bring himself to believe that. Gideon knew the stories, all right. He knew the theory. He knew the theology. He'd been taught in Sunday school all the right things about Jesus. But to him, those things had no relevance to his situation in the here and now. How can God exist, he said, in in the presence of so much suffering? But God doesn't respond directly to Gideon. In fact, the angel messenger carries on and says this, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? That's what God said. And again, rather than listening and agreeing and changing his ways, Gideon refutes all of this. He turns the tables onto himself and he says, well, I'm just weak. I can't I can't go and save anybody. Look at me. I'm threshing this stuff in the winepress. I'm a coward. He says, I'm from the weakest tribe. I'm from the weakest clan in the weakest tribe. And I'm from the weakest family in the weakest clan in the weakest tribe. And I'm the weakest person in the weakest family in the weakest clan in the weakest tribe. I'm just weak. Anybody except me, God. And he comes up with this litany of reasons why the two messages from the angel, the Lord is with you and go and save Israel. Why they cannot be right. They cannot be said of me, says Gideon. But God again comes back a third time and says, I will be with you. You shall have victory, Gideon. And a third time Gideon bats it away. He tries to deflect it. He tries to deny the implications and the best he can do is say to the the angel, the angelic being, show me a sign. okay? If this really is you, if what you're saying is true, then show me a sign. Do something amazing. So it tells us that Gideon went off and prepared a meal um, of a goat. It would have taken quite a while to to prepare a meal of goat unless they happened to have one. Going already, um, you can just pop it in the microwave and be ready in 20 minutes' time. Uh, it probably would have taken several hours, but anyway, he went off, prepared a goat um, with soup, broth, uh, you know, and bread on the side, and the angel uh, said to Gideon, "Okay, right, I want you to put that goat on the rock over there. I want you to pour out the broth over it and put the bread on it." And Gideon obeys; he does what he's told for the first time ever, and. Um, The angel, it says, touches, reaches out with his hand and and, and touches with the staff that he's holding, touches the the food, and instantly it says it was consumed with fire. Fire rose up from the rock, consumed the lot, and at that moment the angel vanished. Finally, Gideon came to his senses. The penny finally dropped. Woe is me, he said. Alas! He said, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I'm a dead man. Just a a common response from someone who has been exposed to the presence of God, whether it's the prophet Ezekiel or Isaiah or even John in in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Woe is me. But God comes to him and speaks to him, not through the angel, through another means. And he says to Gideon at that moment, peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. See here and time and again with Gideon and and, and with all of his people, God pursues his people relentlessly. He bends down to them. He comes to them. He comes down to the level of his people, where they're at. God shows here and, and so many other places tremendous patience with these people, great mercy. He pursues them until they get it, until the penny drops. And we see that here in his interaction with Gideon. And did you note when we went through, God declares Gideon's status. He says, God is with you, O mighty man of valor. His status, but also his mission. He gives him a mission. He says, now go and save Israel from Midian. You see, when Jesus saves us, when we receive him and his salvation through faith in him, we are given a status and a mission. God says to us, like he said to Gideon, I am with you and as such you are a mighty man. You're a mighty woman of valor, of strength and courage and victory. He gives you a new status. It might seem completely opposite to how you are feeling about yourself right now or how you were feeling about yourself at that time, they might feel completely different to the, the circumstances that are around you, that are dictating to you. But when God saves you, even if you are, like Gideon, stuck in the wine press of life, if you are struggling through life, if you are full of fear, if you are afraid of your circumstances and what is going on around you, when Jesus saves you, God declares of you, I am with you and therefore you are strong. Therefore, you are victorious. Therefore, you will overcome. He says that about you. He gives you that status. He says that because you are now with my son. You are now with Jesus. You are now on his side. And as such, you are now a strong and mighty warrior. Because of Jesus, your view of yourself is not primary anymore. Yes, of course, how we view ourselves is important. But because of Jesus, when Jesus saves you, it is not the most important opinion that you need to bear in mind. Because of Jesus, God's view of you, God's declaration upon you, is all that matters ultimately. God's declaration upon Gideon was true because God said so. He said that about Gideon when Gideon was hiding out in the winepress. But as the narrative goes on, and we'll see this over the next few weeks, when God states and declares something about somebody, it has a habit of becoming practically born out, practically true. God's declaration you see about you will drive the way you live your life, the way your life is shaped going forward. So don't look to your circumstances. When when God declares over you the victory through your faith in Jesus Christ, that will change the trajectory of your life. So he gives you a new status when you trust in Jesus, when you come to faith in Jesus. But as we've seen, he also gives you a mission, gives us a mission. He gave Gideon a mission, go save Israel. It's different for us, right? God doesn't give you and I a mission to go and save Israel because Jesus has already saved his people. He's saved his people the world across. He has saved his people through his life, through his death, through his his resurrection, his work for his people on their behalf. Jesus has done the saving already. So in that sense, Jesus is the one that Gideon ultimately pointed to. But when Jesus saves us, he not only makes a declaration, God not only makes a declaration upon us, but He also gives us a mission. You know, we say at Foundation Church Belfast that we are a community on mission. Yes, we're a community, but we're heading in a direction. We're a community on mission. We are called together for a purpose. When Jesus saves us, uh, when He calls us, He saves us. He gathers us together in a body into a community, but then He sends us out with a mission. And what is that mission? The Bible tells us it is to go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, and thus bring God glory. In so doing, bringing God glory. Gathering more people into the team that gives God glory. That's what making disciples is all about. And we do that by telling and demonstrating all about the good news of Jesus. See, it's not us doing the saving. It's Jesus who has already done the saving through his work on the cross. But it is us declaring and demonstrating that Jesus has already finished. He's already done the work. And that his saving rule is, is coming among us. His, his kingdom is coming. That's what our mission is. And God grants us his Holy Spirit. He grants the, the church his Holy Spirit to empower us and to equip us to go and bear witness to Jesus and his saving rule in all the world. That is our mission declaration mission God spoke it over Gideon you mighty man of valor he speaks it over you and I when we are saved by Jesus through faith in him and yet he gives us a mission as well he sends us out just imagine what your life would look like if you listened to both that declaration and that mission if you took both seriously how would that change things for you? If you took it into the core of your being, what would your life look like? What God says about you and what he calls you to do. Because if you listen to what he says about you, his, the status that you have, then you will become radical in following the calling that he gives to you, however that looks specifically in your life. You will listen less to your own negative opinions about yourselves. You will will listen less to the negative opinion of others, no matter how powerful and influential they have been in your life up until now. When you take seriously that declaration and mission, you will listen less to the prevailing circumstances and the present struggles and sufferings that you may go through. Instead, when you listen to God, when you take seriously his declaration and his mission and when the holy spirit switches that on inside you when that voice burns deep within you then you will be chomping at the bit to get out on mission to Jesus for Jesus you will be crying out to to be let loose to serve god to obey your calling to be radical in the love of god and the love of other people In this season, this is a final thought before we finish. In this season, what is God calling you specifically to do as you obey his mission to go and make disciples and and make much of him? What is God calling you specifically to do? What, What does that look like for you in your life? Is it audacious? Does it seem too big for you? Do you feel too weak to achieve what God is calling you to do? Well, if that's the case, then good. Because it's probably more likely to be of God. If that is the case, if God is laying something specifically on your heart, that mission that He's calling you to do, as you go and make disciples, how does that specifically look for you? Here are some things that you can do to to facilitate that and to receive that. First of all, you pray. Pray about it. Pray for it. Pray for that thing that God is putting on your heart. Lord. If this is of you, will you heighten this? Will you strengthen this? Will you um, confirm it? Pray about it. Lord, would you bring those resources in if this is of you? If you want me to achieve this audacious goal, will you line things up so that I can go ahead and obey you in your mission? Pray. Secondly, share. Share this in, in your community. If you're a part of Foundation Church Belfast, share this with others in our community on mission in our gospel community the one that's centered around Jesus empowered by his spirit share it because when we share this I, this, this, calling this, this, uh, this inner compulsion on, on mission when we share this with one another we're inviting insights we're inviting wisdom we're calling on others to join us to share that to, to, to pray together to seek God together pray, share thirdly you may, may even want to ask uh, for confirmation Gideon asked for confirmation several times. It might be that uh, you want to say to God, look, God, I, I, I want to hear you right. I don't know if this is right, but please would you, If this is what I'm thinking, please would you grant some form of confirmation, some form of sign, some, some assurance that this is what you want me to do. And we've seen here that God is merciful. He is kind. He will guide his people as they are out on mission for him. So what opportunities is God opening for you right now? As we've just been seeing and thinking in the second part, we need to listen to God and respond, no matter where it takes us. What is God saying to you? Where does he want to take you?